to talk this morning just it's about my story but as has already been said Bess already said that every one of us have a story and, and I just love that that God knows your story as well as mine and your story is great in God's eyes that my story is no greater and no less than yours that God's interested in all of us and as you know we've been uh, sort of the last week or two we've been talking about peacocks I got a word from my cousin Judith that God wanted to teach us something from the peacock. And would you believe it? Hold on. I got a scarf last week. Do you remember the scarf arrived yesterday in the morning, last Tuesday morning? Look what was given to me yesterday. The peacock out of the blue. So you see, there's something about this that I just think, there's something about the peacock that God's been speaking to me about. So I want to just tell you a couple of things about it and then you'll just see how it kind of fits into what is about my story. Because you see, the peacock is one of God's, crea- one of God's creation and obviously the peacock declares God's glory. And if you've noticed the peacock, when it puts the, the feathers up, it certainly does show the glory of God with a beauty. And when we look at the peacock, the interesting thing is when its tail is up, and we're going to see that the tail actually can be three feet high and seven feet across. And when that's up, we are not looking at the peacock, we're looking at the glory. And that's what God wants in our lives. He doesn't want us to, that it's us who's seen. He wants to see God's glory through our lives. He wants to crown us with his glory, that we will show his glory to the world. And I wanted to start off by saying that whatever your story is, and whatever kind of a mess your story might be in, I want you to know that God plans to work it all for good, so that actually your story will show off his glory. That's what we, that's what we know to be true. And you know, the title over this, last week we talked about how David's life got complicated. And I want to say my life started off very simple, but it got complicated. And as as Beth was saying, all of us know complication in our stories, don't we? And very often we don't tell that to the world, we keep it quiet, but there's complications that can come with with her in our lives. So your story is important. Nothing's too hard for God. God can display his glory through your mess. God can display your story his glory through your story. So I want to just look very quickly at some of these characteristics of the peacock. You know, it's only recently I realised it's one of the largest flying birds, and Roberta sent us a little video of the peacock flying. Look it up on, online. It's just an amazing sight to behold. And you see, God wants his woman to fly. And I loved the little caption that Roberta put when she sent me the video of the peacock flying. She just put underneath, Magnificent Bird. And we saw last week that God wants us to know that in his sight, he wants us to display his glory and to be magnificent birds. Do you fancy being a magnificent bird? That's what God wants for you. And so if you know, if you remember, whenever they they, they call this the train, when the train goes up, uh, it actually has around about a thousand eyes. Symbol of God's omnipotence, that God sees everything and knows everything. And we need to live our lives knowing that God sees the deepest, darkest corner of our hearts. He sees every disappointment. He knows everything about us. And of course, those eyes are, there's so many circles in those eyes. And the the circle speaks of eternal life, where it goes round and round and round. And it's interesting that the peacock also has a crown on its head speaks of the loving kindness that god wants to crown us with instead of going around in the prayer room this morning somebody said that they felt there was women in here this morning and they were going round and round in circles with the same old thought patterns that were just destroying them but god wants to take that away cut it off we're going to see through my story he wants to let the past behind and he wants to put a crown of his loving kindness on your head Now here's the first thing I want you to know about peacocks. Do you know that they're great fighters? And do you know that what they fight best is snakes? Now I think that's a very interesting characteristic because we have an old serpent who did all the damage at the beginning and continues to do damage in our lives, especially in the way we think. And I'll tell you, the peacocks do not let snakes into their territory. Isn't that quite amazing? We need to keep the enemy out, especially in our thought patterns, because the enemy will come to destroy you with the way that you think. 
They love to play with each other, these peacocks. They love to chase each other. And, but you know something about them? They go clockwise. They go in one direction. And I love that because God wants us to have fun in our lives. He wants us to enjoy each other. He wants us to have a laugh. But he wants us to keep going in the one direction, in his direction. He doesn't want us to slip back and to go backwards into the wrong place. Peacocks usually travel in groups of eight to ten. Listen, we need each other. We need women we can confide in. Eight to ten is a wonderful number of women that you might know that you could call on to pray with, that you would be able to share things with. And it's great to be able to trust each other and God wants us to journey through life together. I have some really close, especially female friends, who I really can talk to and pray with and it's a great gift from God. They make their nests on the ground but they perch in the treetops. We have to get on with everyday life. Like we have to do the stuff. But you know what? We don't have to stay in the ground. We can watch and pray. We can get to the treetops. Peacocks can make different calls. They make a call that will interact with each other. But they can also give an alarm signal. And apparently when a, when a peacock screams, they say it could wake the dead. And I believe that God wants us to be able to interact with each other and bless each other. But you know, sometimes we need to speak loudly what God's saying that it would actually waken people up who are dead. And I would love that this morning. If there's somebody who's just feeling like they're absolutely dead this morning, if you would just know that God can give you life. He can just bring you back to life. He can, he can uh, do a miracle in your life. Peacocks are excellent mothers and they stay close to the young. What a beautiful picture of how God wants us to care for those younger believers and how he wants us to mother each other. And, uh, and also, they shed their feathers every year. Apparently, after breeding season, they shed their feathers and they grow more beautiful feathers every year. A symbol of a new beginning, a symbol of resurrection, a symbol of the renewal of our minds that God wants to do on a regular basis. And somebody said, because they shed their feathers, we don't have to kill them to get the feathers. And you know, I believe as we're being blessed and as God does beautiful things in our lives, we need to be throwing it off there that other people can actually pick it up and look at it and see what God can do in them and can actually um, be encouraged by our lives. The peacock doesn't like to be enclosed. It likes to spread out. What a picture of how God wants us. He wants us to spread out. He doesn't want us to stay hemmed in in a small little circle and feel we're trapped. He wants to set us free that we can go out and bring the message and bring the freedom that we experience to the world. And also they need companionship. If they don't have companionship, they get heartbroken. That's why we need Jesus. He's the truest companion. He's the one who satisfies us. And lastly, they live close to water sources. And I love this because water in the Bible speaks of the word of God. This morning in the prayer room, Heather handed me a lovely ice cold bottle of water. And it was brilliant because I was really, really thirsty. And you know, it just reminded me of, the, of God's word being water to our thirsty souls. And that's exactly what Beth said this morning. So I'm going to start off telling you my story and I want to tell you that it starts off simple. As an eight-year-old girl, I was born into a family where my parents both loved the Lord. They loved Jesus. I knew all about Jesus from I was a small child. But it wasn't until I was eight years old that one night I realised that my mum and my dad, that they knew Jesus in a way I didn't know. At eight years of age, I realised that I needed to know Jesus for myself. And that very night, I remember crying and asking my mother and my father if they could help me because I wanted to know Jesus. And you know, my father turned to Isaiah 53, and I'm just going to read you what he read to me and how simple it was because my life, my story starts off simple. He read to me that Jesus was wounded and he put my name in. He said, Jesus was wounded for Maureen Jones's transgressions. He was bruised for Maureen Jones's iniquities. I remember thinking that's a big word, but I knew it was something that wasn't so good. That he said the chastisement for Maureen Jones's peace was upon Jesus, and by his stripes, Maureen Jones is healed. Now, I didn't know all those big words, but you know, I knew that I needed Jesus. And I knew that I had done, I constantly did things wrong. Like I was eight years old, I wasn't perfect. I knew I had a consciousness that I needed Jesus in my life, that I needed him to forgive me. And I remember as a little child just knowing that whatever Jesus did was enough for God the Father. 
And I remember just saying, Jesus, I want you to come in and be my saviour. I want you to come into my life and I want you to take control. I remember having those words, but that was my heart. And I remember that night knowing that I now had stepped into a relationship with God. But you know, I hadn't really understood until much later, didn't really understand what had taken place. I didn't really understand the fullness of salvation. I knew I was saved, I wasn't going to hell. I was going to, I was going to be with Jesus. I knew he was going to be with me through my life. But you know, I didn't realize that that moment that I trusted Jesus and invited him into my heart, I didn't realize that I was connected to heaven, that I was connected to Jesus. I didn't realize the fullness that I was now in a covenant relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And my parents loved the Lord. And I was taught the Bible from when I was very, very young. And it was a simple start. It was simply trusting Jesus. It was inviting him to come into my life. But you know, it was the beginning of something that was absolutely massive. Because I didn't know that my life would get complicated. I didn't know just how much I would need the Lord. And I just want to really encourage you that you would maybe do that today. If you don't know Jesus, that you would just ask him, invite him to come in and be your saviour. It's a really simple step. But you know, it's passing from, from death onto life. Something happens supernaturally that we are actually, we actually step into eternal life at that moment of salvation. And the Holy Spirit comes to live with us. Now, my childhood memories of my mother and father are, are very beautiful. I had a beautiful, carefree childhood. Uh, we were brought up outside uh, Guildford County down here. Uh, I lived in Stramore, lived in a little house on the side of the road. It's still there. And from, from I was my earliest, I knew about God. And, you know, I was a kind of a carefree child at one stage, at one, in one sense. I loved to do the outdoors. I was never out of the fields. Loved running through the fields and climbing trees. I was a bit of a tomboy. My mother used to despair a bit of me. I never wanted to stay in the house. And yet I was a kind of a quiet child. I wouldn't have said much uh, about how I felt or what was going on. I kept things to myself. But, you know, there must have been something in me even at that early age that, uh, that God had put in there. Because I remember uh, I wasn't a bit shy. If anybody dare touch my brother in school... I tell you, I'd have squared up to them. I remember boxing young fellas because they were going to, they were going to maybe try and bully. My brother, my brother Brendan was a couple of years younger than me. And I tell you, we fought ourselves. We had a full boxing fight between the two of us. But well, dare anybody else say anything about him or do anything. So I, there must have been something. And in my class in school, I was brought up in Moellan Primary School. And in my class at school, there was only three girls. And we were always fighting with each other. And it was always two against one. And I can remember I had long plaits and one of those girls had long plaits and I can remember us swinging each other around the room by the plaits. <laughs> so I do remember that, that part of me. But I, I also remember a melancholy side. I remember one time getting a lift home from school. I don't know if Dee Redpath's here, but her father gave me a lift home. He, they were, we were neighbours with, with Dee Redpath and, uh, and, and, and their father, her father often would have given us a lift from school. And we, we were in this van. I wasn't going to say this, but I'll just say it anyway. We were in this van. He, the, the doors weren't closing. They were kind of flopping. And I was sitting in the back of the van and Brenton, my brother, was sitting on the sort of beside the arch of the wheel. And uh, Dorothy was up Dee was up at the front beside her father and she kept looking back and smiling at me and I was smiling up and up. But somehow or other, I, through this door was flapping open, I could feel myself being sucked back. And as I was, being, as I was sliding back, I remember Brenton looking at me like real scared looking, but not doing anything. And I slipped, and just as I was just about to go out the door, Dee just looked back like this. As she saw me literally going out the door. And I remember, you know, being really badly scraped. I just fell, just there at the White Bridges, you know, where the White Bridge is near Stramore. I remember being sort of pampered a bit. My mother was always great. If I hurt myself, she was always great at banding, binding up my wounds and putting the, making a fuss of me. And I remember putting on the cream. And I think they got the doctor at that particular stage. But I remember looking out the window up from my parents' bedroom and looking up at the big tree. And I remember feeling quite melancholy. What would I do if my, anything happened to my mummy and daddy? I never told that to anybody before. But I remember those thoughts. And that was a very young child. 
And you know, my life was beautiful and we had such fun and such love. My father was so droll. He was just a great, Sally knows, he was just a great father. And you know, everything was just going so well. But it all changed. It started to get complicated at the age of 12. Because my brother and I came home from school one day and we knew our parents weren't going to be there. By this time I had a three and a half year old brother who was called Ian. And we knew they wouldn't be there. We knew they would be in Belfast. And uh, so we weren't expecting them at home. My very aged grandmother lived with us. Uh, She was bedridden for quite a few years. She lived in our home. She was in the house. And we were running wild through the house. And we were thinking this was great to be on our own in a way because Granny wasn't really up to running after us. And um, nobody came home. and, And around tea time, someone came to the door and said there'd been an accident. My mother had been in a very serious accident. Ian, my brother, had been in the car and uh, he had sustained a fractured skull and he had been taken straight up to the Royal, to the children's ward. And my mother was in hospital and uh, she had brain damage. Later on that night, my granny, my granny Jones, who lived in the house with us, uh, she didn't know anything about the accident, but in the middle of the night, she died. And so my father had to arrange for her funeral, for his mother's funeral that week. And uh, my mother lived a few days and she also died. So my father had to bury his mother and his uh, wife inside one week. So there was two funerals going outside, out from our house. And of course that just changed everything. That just changed everything. That was the catastrophe that had just hit us and things were not going to be the same again. And I remember uh, during those days that my mother was still alive, I remember standing in the kitchen and I can see myself so clearly saying, Lord, if you, if you just stop my mummy from dying, I'll be the best girl. I will do so much for her. I'll not be running around those fields. I'll, be do, I'll do so much for her if you just save her life. And you know, that was a vow that I made and I think that actually affected me for the rest for a long, long time until maybe not that long ago. I, I, because when you make a vow like that, that you'll do something, the enemy moves right in on it. Because do you know what? We can't be perfect. We can't do all these things without God's help. It's not in our strength. And it's silly to make a vow like that. And if you've made one, you need to repent from it. Because you'll be trying to please everybody and from for many many years i was trying to please everybody i was trying to be the best i was trying to look after everybody and you know i think that affected me in a maybe a deeper way than what i realized and of course my mother did die and and after that then there was a lot of uh, we had my as i say my father was with great family support we had cousins we had we had a lot of support and and you know god was so good and and at the same time as we went, as time went on, we were missing our mother more and more. And I have an awful lot to tell you, so I need to keep moving here. But I will say this much. My granny Rob came to live with us. That was my mother's mother. And I loved my granny Rob because she was the one that I stayed with so much through my childhood. She was the one who got down on her knees and prayed the prayer. And I prayed it after her. And I learned to pray through my granny Rob. And I loved her so much. But when my mother died, she was never the same again. She could never get over the fact that she had lost her beautiful daughter. And she used to cry and to weep. And of course, within about a year, just maybe over a year, my father had met someone and was getting married. And that was another whole issue of getting used to that. But, you know, God gave grace. I knew my daddy needed someone. He had three small children. And so when my granny Rob knew that my father was moving on, she couldn't just accept that. And so she really stepped away and out of our lives. And so I not only lost my mother, but I lost my granny, the one that was so close to me. And, you know, for years I grieved over my granny Rob. And I want to tell you something, that my father, if, because I was such an introverted girl, because I didn't bring anything into the light, I kept all that pain hidden. And I just pretended that everything was fine. And yes, I had lots of fun. I was happy a lot of the time. But in the quietness, I was grieving. And I didn't know how to grieve. And you know, I want to say to you that if I had known, if my father had known I was breaking my heart, he would have made sure I had contact with my granny Rob. But you see, he had a lot on his hands and he didn't know. And I didn't, I didn't tell him. 
And, you know, people didn't really pray with children back then, you know, the way that we would be aware to pray now. It was like pray about it, but not pray with them. And we didn't. I remember my brother saying, my brother Brenton saying that at the funeral, that somebody said, oh, that's a wee fella there, you know, he doesn't really know what's going on. And Brenton was about 11 and he says he could have busted him <laughs> because he was breaking his heart. And you see, people back then didn't know about the needs of children in the same way. Anyway, I need to keep going because the time... Oh, we're all right yet. We're all right yet. It was a very, very painful time. And, and, and during that time as well, there was other pains. You know, who says that a young person can't feel pain even in a relationship with the opposite sex? Who says that? I'll tell you, it's the most painful time. And I had a lot of pain in that as well. And through my teenage years, a lot of the time I remember just being torn and feeling so, so sad and hiding it. And I just want to say to any of you who are going through any kind of situation where a child is torn between two groups of people, especially through divorce, you'll see later on, I went through divorce, we need to be very careful that children don't feel that they have to give loyalty to one group rather than the other. It's it tears you apart, and I remember the pain of that, but it wasn't anyone's fault. Uh, no one knew what I was going through. And so those were, those were years of, and you know, during that time, the memories that I have of my mother, you know what the mem- greatest me- two memories that I have of my mother? First and most important one was, I remember my mother putting her arms around me and hugging me. And I remember being held and, and hugged in such a way that I knew I was loved. And I want to say to you, don't you worry too much about being a mother that has everything right. Just hug your children and love them. That's the strongest and most important memory that I have, that she really loved me. And you see, God it taught me how to accept God's love because God wants to put his arms around you and he wants to hold you and he wants to show you that he loved you enough to die for you. And he wants us to receive that love. And so that's the strongest memory. The other one is of being comforted. I've already mentioned it. However, I was always falling. You, you should see the scars on my knees. I was always falling. I couldn't have gone running up the road, out of and down the knees, and the two, the two knees skinned. And I remember my mother bringing me in, putting me in the settee, putting the cream on, putting a wee blanket over me. You know, again, that reminds me of the kindness of God. He wants to bind your wounds. Don't be carrying those wounds with you. He wants to heal you. He wants to do something miraculous and beautiful in your life. And so, all of that. But you know what? Early in my life, one thing I did learn was this, that God's word had power in it. From a very young person, I remember knowing that when I spent time with God and read his word and gave God some time, that actually something happened that lifted me emotionally and spiritually. I remember knowing from a very early age and loving God's word. And I just want to encourage you to get into God's word. Do not let the enemy keep you out of the word of God because he wants to steal from you. He doesn't want you to know the comfort of God's word. I knew the comfort, the true comfort of God's word. And so you see, all of that pain was hidden, but I was getting comforted by God, and God was with me. And then, of course, whenever I was, uh, my father remarried, and he had, uh, my, I then had a stepmom. We were very close. We just referred to her as our mom, and uh, she then had a, a, a child whose name is Gary, who is my, my third brother. Uh, Gary's obviously the youngest, and uh, Gary was about a year old, and all of us moved to live up in Inniskillen. So I was about 18, I think, by the time we got to Inniskillen. I'd just started to drive the car, and uh, from there I went up to Belfast to do a course. I'm just really going to race through this. Uh, did a course um, at Stuart Memorial. Uh, would you believe I did a course in hairdressing? Would you believe it? Never really worked. I did the course and all, and I knew kind of halfway through it that I wasn't going to ever be a hairdresser, but I enjoy- was enjoying the crack, so just kept going. Um, so then from there, I got into, um, as a 21-year-old, I saw an advertisement uh, for uh, to be a house mother uh, with kids with a disability in Bangor, and I remember something in my heart. It was like, I don't want to do her, that's not what I want to do. I want to do something important for God. I remember just knowing, and it was a very poorly paid job, and it wasn't anything, I mean, it was, and I remember my my family thought I was crazy, but I just knew I had to go and do this job. And so I did that for a year, and then moved on to Fleming Fulton, worked there for a year, and uh, then sometime after that, a friend and I 
went down to some of the meetings that used to be down in Newcastle. If uh, maybe Derek Ding, if you remember, had the centre down there. And this girl and I, Aaron Troughton and I, went down to a meeting. Bob Hewitt was speaking. And I remember Bob Hewitt was speaking on present your body to living sacrifice, which is your reason for service. And I remember we really were both spoken to and we were driving home and we both said, what could we do? What could we do? We, we want to present ourselves to God. What could we do? What's the plan that God has for us? And I remember just going home in the, in the car and she said to me, she had worked in the same two places I had with disability. And she said, maybe, maybe we could get a few of these disabled ones and we could have a weekend for them. And so out of, out of just, out of a meeting, the reason I'm telling you that is because God can speak to you through a meeting that will do something that you would never dream of. Out of bringing a small group of disabled people that we both knew together for a weekend, and there was a fellow there called Alan Wilson, and some of you will know it, and he, had, he was cerebral palsy, and he had terrible speech, but he was great cracking. He loved the Word of God, and we got him up on the Sunday morning to preach. And he got up, and we were all trying to make out what he was saying, and we were all shouting out what he was saying. And, and he was preaching from, i never forget, it was a real hot day in the month of June, and he got up uh, out in Ballinran in the Moran Mountains, and he says, I want to read to you from Revelation 13, the beast coming up out of the sea. <laughs> and this is what he spoke on, and it was brilliant. And that was the start of it. And then we started asking cousins and Sally and Stuart and all the, all the family, my brothers, friends, anybody. And before we knew it, we had a whole group of people. Would you believe me, that happened in 1974. And it's still going. And I haven't been in it not since William was born. And I just was talking to Sarah recently, uh, one of my cousins, and she was saying just every year it's renewing itself. So many people have got saved through that. You know, I was brought up to know that it wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship with Jesus. Religion was nothing. And we had people from all kinds of places coming, and still do. And lots of the people who came along to help those younger generation, they're still coming. And so many of those younger lives have been really blessed. And so it's just amazing to see. And I'm telling you that because from this meeting today, if God hits your spirit and gives you a thought, gives you a desire to do something, if God speaks to you today, I want you to know that something can come out of this meeting that you would never imagine. I would never have imagined that out of that there would still be a work going on that's nothing to do with me. And so those were really fruitful years and my brother Brendan and I we were always organizing speakers to come we oh, we loved to have meetings we were I was brought up in the gospel hall uh, that in Horry actually initially and then whenever we moved in a skillin the gospel hall in a skillin and my brother and I were always kind of jumping the traces you know we always wanted to have meetings and maybe they didn't just agree with what some of our ideas so we would just I remember having meetings in part my father had a garage he sold cars up in a scale and get a garage called County Cars and we had a meeting in the showroom of County Cars and people because my heart was always for every denomination it wasn't for one and we'd have people coming from all over in a scale and coming to those and uh, and people coming up like Derek Bingham or, or Rory Pickering or whatever others to speak and so God did loads of stuff but I was getting older I was approaching the big 4-0 and I did want to get married and I did want to have children. And so I was praying and had been praying all my life, but somehow it just never happened for me. I had been kind of hurt when I was very young, far too young, and never really got over that. And do you know, when I was coming up to 40, I met this man who had been divorced. And he had a 14-year-old daughter, and his heart was to serve the Lord. He'd just been away from God for many years, but he wanted to serve the Lord abroad. He wanted to go out to the East Block countries. At that time, the Bibles couldn't go into a lot of the East Block countries. And so he, he was passionate about God. And so I really kind of fell for this guy. And because he was divorced, I suppose that kind of accelerated the relationship, maybe because it was... It was just very delicate. Anyhow, we ended up very, very quickly. We got married, and I became a stepmom to his daughter, Michelle, who's now living abroad and has been for a long time. So after I got married, of course, at that stage, I was thinking, God, this is amazing. I've got a man, <laughs> and I'm going into mission. Like, that was all I wanted, mission and a man. I thought that would be everything I would need. I thought if I could just have that, then everything would be hunky-dory. How wrong was I? You see, no man and no mission, not even working for God, will satisfy you. No, only Jesus. Only a relationship with him 
can satisfy our hearts. Anyhow, we got married and uh, we got married in the month of March and later on that year, I prayed specifically. I said, Lord, would you give me a son to bring up for you? And you know, within a few days, maybe it was a few weeks, I can't remember, it was very, very quick, I knew I was pregnant. And from the very beginning, I said, Lord, thank you. This is the son that I've asked you for. And I remember thinking about Hannah and the story of Hannah and how she said, for this child I prayed. And that was my, if you like, that was a thing that I just prayed the whole way through that pregnancy, for this child I prayed. And of course I was praying, Lord, let this child be perfect, no disabilities and all of that. I had worked in social, as a social worker, had along the line got trained to do social work, and I'd worked with disability, and I, I was really praying against all kinds of things and just, Lord, this would be fine. And uh, so then it came to the time that William would be born. And of course, because I have so much to say, but we're, I, I really felt God put a lot of this stuff in my heart, so I'm going to trust I'm going to get it out. If I have to fly over it, I'm still going to get it out. Um, and so uh, I remember whenever it came to the time for William to be born, uh, it ended up that, uh, he, that William was having difficulties and they had to do an emergency section. And when the baby was born, uh, I came out of the anaesthetic. And I remember the first questions that I asked was questions around, is the baby okay? And, uh, and they would uh, answer me, well, you know, very vaguely. I remember being answered very vaguely. And I remember uh, the doctor coming in and I said, is he Down syndrome? And I remember he said, you know, I was asking him, was he Down syndrome? Just to make sure he wasn't, you know. It was just to get it out of the way. Because I'd worked out other things from the scans and I thought, no, I, think, I don't think he's spina bifida. I'd worked it all out in my head and that was the one thing. And the, the doctor said, what makes you ask a question like that? And I, said, I remember I started to cry, very emotional, still half under the anaesthetic. And I remember I said, because I just want to make sure he's not. And then I, I remember I kind of went back into sleep again and I came around again and uh, William's father was just sitting beside the bed. And I remember I asked him the same questions. I said, is the baby all right? He said, yes. And I remember I looked at him and I said, are you sure? And he says, well, maybe there's just a wee thing. And I said, is he Down syndrome? And he says he is, but he's beautiful. And he says, and I love him, he's beautiful. And you know, it was like somebody had taken a sledgehammer and hit me across the head. I remember I let a roar out of me. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that God had given me a Down syndrome child after me saying, like, God, I don't want a Down syndrome child. I'd specifically held my stomach and said, Lord, make sure this child is all right. And, you know, just at that moment, the door opened and in walked this uh, paediatrician. He didn't usually come up to there in hospital in those days, but he came up at that time from, from, uh, from Derry. He came up unexpectedly walked in the door and he of course was somebody who had the authority to say that the child was Down syndrome because they wouldn't give you wouldn't tell you that unless somebody someone had the authority and he walked in with William in his arms and I remember he walked around the bed and he said to me you want to know if this little chap is Down syndrome or not I'm telling you he is and he says and I want to tell you he says this child will be a blessing or a burden to you depends what way you take him and I remember he put him into my arms and I started to cry. And I remember I said, oh, I was just thinking, Lord. And all of a sudden, it was like I heard in my spirit. It was like the Lord whispered to me, this is the child that you prayed for. This is the one that I have chosen to give you. And I remember I started to cry. And I said, the doc, it was Dr. Brown. And I remember saying to Dr. Brown, this is the child. And I, I'm sure he thought I was a bit of a mad woman. But I was saying, you know, Dr. Brown, I prayed for this baby. I asked God to give me a son, but I thought he would grow up to be a doctor or a great preacher or something else. But this is the child. This is the one he's given to me. And you know, from that moment, he's been the delight of my heart. And does God know what to give you? He blesses me so much. You talk about hugs and kisses and unconditional love. You talk about simplicity. He's just God's very special gift to me. And you know, after he was born, when he was just, he was born in August, and in September we were already out in Austria looking for some place to live. We had, we had been connected to an American mission called Couriers for Christ, who wanted to fund us and, and, and pay us to go out to live in Austria and to bring Bibles into all those different East Block countries. And so 
We went over and uh, William, as he was only a couple of months old, I remember it was out in the snow. I remember carrying him in a little bag through the snow as we looked for this house. And I remember we, we had a big vehicle that, um, that hid a hiding place for Bibles. And I remember when he was only a couple of months old, setting him up on top of a big pile of Bibles and driving him over the border into Hungary with the Bibles underneath William. That was the first entry that he had into that work. And so that really fast forward there, we did that. We eventually moved down uh, to, uh, to Romania and we lived in Romania for a while. But during those years, things were deteriorating. There was a lot of issues just in our marriage. It had, it had been, there'd been difficulties from fairly early on and different things. And it ended up that, that after a couple of years in Romania that we were things were not going so good. During that time, I really felt to mention this, during the time that I'm going to tell you about now, this time of things getting very complicated and a lot of pain around it, I want to tell you that I had known the comfort from the Word of God. But you know, around that time, I began to get a false comfort. Because my husband, and he wouldn't make me saying this because he's really given me freedom. He's back in Ireland living now, he's remarried, and we have a good relationship. And he's told me, you can say whatever you like. So I'm not saying anything behind his back. But at that stage, alcohol had come back into his life again. And at that stage, I was also getting a false comfort at night time, especially just to get a couple of glasses and to get myself able to sleep. And I want to say to you that the enemy will try to ensnare you with false comforts. And alcohol is a very, very favourite one of the enemies, is to ensnare you with in that way. And so it, it, was, it is a false comfort, it's not the true comfort of the Holy Spirit. After a few years, a couple of years back home, Tom went back to Romania. He, he had met up with a lady who was going, wanted to do some business out there. Another long story, but anyway, he, he went back and he was just coming home occasionally. William and I were living at that stage in Magabri. One uh, Christmas night I was sitting up at home and in a skill in my family's home, looking into the fire on my own, everyone else had gone to bed. And I remember hearing in my spirit, it was just like I felt the Lord said to me, if you don't get out of my gabbery, you're gonna go under. And I remember hearing that as clear as that in my spirit. You need to take note and hear God. When you feel and hear that voice in your spirit, take note of what God's saying to you. And I remember starting to pray about that. Lord, is this what you want me to do? And just knowing in my knower that I needed to move house. I was very isolated. I was living in Magabri. I was working at, back in social work. I was working in Portadown. And I remember uh, starting to get the house up for sale. Now, I can't go through that story. Maybe that's for another time. But I want you to know this, that that was absolutely crucial. If I hadn't moved at that house, the series of events that happened afterwards, I would never have got to know Jane in the way that I did. We ended up uh, living together because of that move for about from the month of June to the month of October. And during that time, she got to know everything about William and got to love him. And whenever, we, whenever I moved from her house and, and moved finally into the house in Portadown, Jane said to me, I'll never forget, she said to me, she was working at that time, in a, she was a stitcher in Portadown, and she worked long hours. And I remember her saying to me, Maureen, I promise you, every Friday night I'll take William. And he'll stay with me every Friday night, and I'll bring him back to you on Saturday night. Can you believe a young girl that's working hard? All that was the start of it. And so, look, I can't go into the whole story of that, but that was an amazing... And I want to encourage you that God has a purpose. When he whispers direction, listen to him and obey him because he has purpose. He's not getting you just for no reason. He has a reason for everything. And so, as the time went on, uh, I'm living here. Tom is... Uh, my William's father is living over in Romania. And during that time, uh, my cousin Judith began to really come to me. You know, she was so much younger than me, but she used to come and, and pray with me. And she used to say, come on, I'll bring you to my church. Because I had been running around churches and, 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 and nothing was really comforting me. It was like, it was like I could have preached those sermons. It wasn't touching me. But I remember going to her church and I remember Judith praying with me. And Judith would pray, we pray, and just say, I just feel God saying this. And you know, I would just find the tears would start to come. And she would start to give me pictures of what that would be really meaningful to me. And I'd never had pictures in my life before. What, what does it mean to have pictures whenever you were being prayed for? This was totally outside my experience. But she started to pray in this way. And then she led me to some believers. And they began to give me pictures and me words of prophecy. And the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit started to minister in the prophetic and words of knowledge. Do you know it was like, it was like stepping into a whole new ocean? It was like... I didn't know 
that God could minister to me like this. I knew I was saved and I loved the word of God all my life. But I was flapping the one, the one, I was the word, but now it was like the Holy Spirit. And she brought me to one particular meeting, and I haven't time to tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit at that meeting that was totally outside anything I'd ever experienced before. That's all I'm telling you. It was absolutely life-changing. And I began to realise that the Holy Spirit really cared about me and wanted to minister to me, and he wanted to take away this. This had become a mess. By this time, William's father was with someone else in, in Romania, and it looked as though we were, we were, were actually separated at that stage, and, and it looked as though he was working towards marriage. And I remember that stage. I remember, um, I remember one night in my home in Portadown, I remember getting down on the floor. I'd begun to bring things into the light. I'd begun to talk to Judith and talk to other people, and it was really through bringing stuff into the light that I was getting comfort. For any sake, don't keep your stuff in the dark. That's where Satan torments you. Get it into the light. Go and get someone that you can get some prayer with and bring it out. And so one night I'm in my house and I'm down my, on the floor in my house. We live in, I live in Inglewood Lodge in Portadown. And I'm down on my four, my hands and my feet and my face. And I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, God, what are you going to do with this mess? Is this marriage ever going to be restored? Is there any hope for this? What? What do you want? It? What are you? What are you saying to me, God? And I remember just being at that point of desperation, and I just opened up the Bible, and here's the verse that it hit at. It was First Samuel thirty, verse eight. The background. I knew the background to the story. The story was that David's wives had been taken captive. And he was asking God what he should do. It was just like a similar situation to mine. And I remember I read these words. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Pursue where his wives have been taken. Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered David, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And I remember it like God said to me as clear as day, You pursue me. Don't be pursuing the marriage. Don't be pursuing anything else. Just pursue me. And without doubt, I just took those words, you shall surely overtake them. I would overtake the difficulties and without fail recover all. And I remember that night saying, Lord, I am going to believe that. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to make you my main pursuit. You're going to go after you. And I started to go Everywhere I could go to get prayer, I was there. If there was a meeting, I remember going to a group of believers where the really people would have got up and danced around the place. And I tell you, I'd have got up and danced. I'd have got up and danced and I'd have been praising God and pursuing God with all my heart. Some beautiful believers, George and Aaron, had ministered to me so beautifully and others. And you know what? God did a healing work. And the more I brought the stuff into the light, the more the memories came that were haunting me and hurting me and I brought them into the light, he was healing them. He was changing me. And so it was just an amazing time and a time of, of great... Um, you have a couple of things now really need to get squeezed in here, so I'm pushing on. Then one night I had a dream. I had a dream. And I dreamt in this dream, and Roberta will maybe remember this, I dreamt in the dream that I heard a voice saying that I was pregnant. And I remember the voice said very clearly, but it's not a normal pregnancy, this is a, super, this is a spiritual pregnancy. And at that stage, I didn't know what a spiritual pregnancy was. It, it was like I didn't really understand it. And Roberta and I were going to a weekend in Castle Welland. Do you remember Roberta? And on the way down, I shared this dream with Roberta. When we went down, there was a, a, an American guy there. He didn't know any of us. He was a man called Joe McIntyre. I've never seen him since. And he was praying for loads of people. There was lots of people from Greenfields Church where we had been going in Portadown. And I remember he went down the line and I saw prophecy in action. And he went down each one and he prayed over. And I knew the thing. I knew these people and I knew what he was saying, that it was really a word from God. And he came to me and I remember he put his head in my, uh, hand in my head and I remember as clearly he said to me, I see you're pregnant. But he says, it's not, it's not a normal, it's not a natural pregnancy. This is a spiritual pregnancy. And he began to read these words. He actually said them. He obviously knew them off by heart. He began to speak these words over me from Isaiah 49. He says, for your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. Now, this is the bit that really broke me. The children you will have after you have lost the others, will say again in your ears, 
The place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. I had left possibilities in Romania. I had, I had dreamed that that mission in Romania would see many brought into the kingdom, that I would have many children, that I could be used by God. It was my dream. It was a desire of my heart. I had lost them all. And here's this man who doesn't know me from Adam, and he's reading out this scripture, and he's saying, he's saying to me that there's hope. That's all I could think of. There's hope. And he goes on to say, Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me? Since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro and who has brought these up and then he said there I was left alone but these where were they and I remember it was just like God said to me you're left alone I saw my life as being like a waste and desolate place and it was just like God said to me one day you're going to look around and say where did all these come from where did all this blessing come from do you know something I remember that night I could hardly sleep for excitement that the Holy Spirit was real, that he had given me a dream. And then a man from America had come and said the words into my I couldn't, I could hardly sleep. The reality of the Holy Spirit, and those were amazing days. And over the next, the next period of time, I am fairly flying through this. I tell you, I didn't believe I'd get this all in, but there's one bit I need to finish with. Over those years, God so, so did a work in me. And I remember going down for, Prayer, running down for prayer. The wee group I was with had prayer in the wee church twice at lunchtime during the week. And I would have, I would have broke my neck to get out of social. I remember standing behind the door in social services, weeping and getting myself steady to go out and see a client. And then the minute I could get out running down to the prayer meeting to get prayer, I was beginning to bring things into the light. I was beginning to get healed. God was beginning to do something amazing. And then I was sent, would you believe it, social services. They wouldn't do it now, I'm sure. But they sent me away on a five-weekend course for counselling. It was really to help me. It was really based on your own experiences of life, but it was to help us to be able to work with children. I was working in a childcare team. And I went off for five weekends, and one of those weekends, they got us to, to, to work with clay. I'll tell you this really quickly. And, and we were supposed to be working with clay as a therapeutic tool. And I'm starting to work with this clay, and I'm, the more I'm working at it, I'm thinking, God, I'm just like clay in your hands, you know, Jeremiah? And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm just like clay in your hands, and you're shaping me. And I remember I started to shape up this old woman, and I, I made the clay that the woman was over like that. She was really bent over. And I remember weeping and, and saying, Lord, that's what I look like. That's who I am. I'm, that's me. I'm just bent over. I've no hope. I'm, I'm worried. I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of fear. I'm full of all these things. Yes, thank you. You've been doing so much. But I just feel like that old woman. And I remember, I remember uh, then I thought, Lord, I, I know you've told me to pursue you. I know you're going to do more. I know you're going to bring me out of this. And so I started to, to fashion another young woman. And she I put her back to back with the old woman. And so the new woman had her hands up like this. And I remember being very particular about her hair. I remember putting the line of the pen right around the clay to make sure it was really long and really curly. And uh, I remember looking at this and just really weeping. And I remember going home, I remember driving from Londonderry over Scrahy Mountain to go back. I think I must have been going down a skill in that particular time uh, for some reason. But I remember that, that journey and I remember stopping on the road and knowing that God was doing something. And again, just saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm giving you everything I've got. I'm going to trust you. <laughs> Continue to get more healing, and we're almost finished. God was faithful. I was running for prayer every opportunity. God was doing a new thing. After maybe, I don't know how long, it could have been another year, it could have been a couple, I'm not sure, but it was quite a distance afterwards. I was, also, I was sent again, once again, another weekend, a one-day course up to Belfast from my work from social services. And whenever I got up, it was again to help us to work and help children emotionally. And whenever I, was, whenever I got up to the course, the next thing, they pulled out clay. And they, the same thing, and they wanted us to work in the clay. So I was at this table on my own with this clay before me, and I made the same old woman and the same beautiful woman. And I remember saying, Lord, this has to be, this is important. And I remember praying over the old woman and the new lady. And I remember saying, Lord, thank you. You have set me free from that old lady. I am no longer bound over like that. Thank you for the healing. You've done so much. 
And I remember having this, this is all going on like in social services time. And I'm praying over this, and I remember thinking this has to be, this is like, it was, to me it was like, you know the way you cut a, a cake at the wedding? It was like it had, it was something formal that God was going, I was going to mark something for this occasion. And I remember taking a knife, and I remember saying, Lord, thank you that I am no longer part of the old woman. And I remember cutting through the clay and taking the old woman away and dropping her into the sauce, into the saucepan, into the dustpan. And I remember looking at this young woman with her hands up. And I said, Lord, that's the way I want to live my life for you for the rest of my days. I want to worship you. I want to show your glory and how good you are to the world. And that is what happened. And so after that, I began to realize more and more that God can bring beauty out of ashes. That God, if you bring your ashes and your mess to him, he can do anything out of it. In 2001, between 2001 and 2, I felt the call, I felt a real sense of God drawing me to this church. I remember at that stage I was living over in Portadown and I really felt a real sense of being drawn here. And we came here in 2002, early, yeah, mid, maybe summertime 2002. Uh, that was in 2002. And in 2006, as you all know, Jill died here very, very suddenly. Philip's uh, first wife, Jill, died. And I had got very close to Jill, and she'd been at my house the night before. A group of us women had been praying. Uh, uh, Joy and Jerry and all were there and others. And um, she died that night very, very suddenly. And she had a group of women together. And, um, and it was like some time later. Uh, those women were really broken hearted whenever Jill died and I remember Liz who's down there at the back bringing me out for coffee and slipping me the wee list and saying maybe you would kind of take over this group and you know out of out of Jill's death Egal's was born isn't it amazing out of out of the depths of sorrow and out of the worst of situations that God can do something you know he's way ahead of us way ahead of us and so I want to encourage you ladies that God sees you and you know, Heather sent a word to me this morning. She said that she felt this morning that God wanted to flow in magnificent <coughs> ways over you women in his anointing. That he wanted you to know that this morning can be a turnaround for you. You don't have to keep going around that same circle. You can, it can be a turnaround, you can break. You can actually, you can start a journey where you can cut off the past and you can let it go. Just as I cut off that old that old weight of that old woman off my back. I want you to know, God wants you to know, that this can be the beginning of a journey that will lead to you being totally free to be the woman, the magnificent woman that God calls you to be. That you can, you can display something of his glory to the world. And Heather said she believed this was the, that this morning could be a pivotal point to move somebody forward to dream dreams. I think there's some, some of you in here, you're afraid to dream dreams because you've been so disappointed and so hurt in life. So many disappointments. But God wants you to know that he works all things together for good. See, my mess and your mess might be very different, but they're still a mess. And in God's, when we bring it to God, God can make, he can make a message out of the mess. God wants to turn things around. And, and Heather said that she felt that, that, he, that, he wanted this, that God wanted this to be a morning where we would begin to dream dreams and to be real because God knows each anxious thought. That we are to let go of past issues and we're to take step by, we're to take, move forward taking a step at a time, step by step, day by day, moving in the power and the strength and the love of a magnificent God. That was a word that was given to me early this morning. Corrine came to me later to say that she'd read from Joyce Meyer, God is untying your knots one at a time. Do you feel you've got some knots in your life, some situations that are really stopping you from going forward? God wants to set you free. This morning we had a word about God's plan, we believe, to raise up a mighty army of women. And I am telling you that I believe that that's what God wants to do. Are you ready to enlist? Are you ready to start this journey? And if you're on the journey, push on and continue and allow God to do what he wants to do because he wants you to be, a, he doesn't want you to be a mess. He wants you to be a mighty warrior. He wants you to be a mighty woman of God. This morning, I, 
I, my daily reading just at the bottom it said prepare to meet your God and that's usually something we think of when we die but actually it said prepare for the next encounter and I'm telling you I believe that God's encountering some of you this morning and I believe that God wants you to know that he is more for you and I believe he wants you to know that there's still more and there's still more freedom and I want more freedom I haven't arrived there's stuff I have to work through I'm not, I haven't reached it all but I'll tell you something I've got some of the rubbish away and God wants us to push on in this journey and he wants us to trust him and lift him up and he wants us to help each other because we, we're meant, we're part of his body. We're meant to help each other on this journey and encourage each other. And God wants us to be a mighty, mighty army for him. And just this morning, I really felt, and with this I'm going to finish, I really felt this morning that God was saying that, that we should take this on board. I believe with all my heart that God wants to do more in EGALS than he's ever done before. Now, I believe that God has blessed us. We have now, in this September, we will have done 12 years in EGALS. We'll be starting our 13th year, God willing. But I tell you, in my heart of hearts, I know that this is not all that God has. But you know what? I can't do it. You, you and I together can do it. And if you start to invite other people and get other people here, we can see something built for the kingdom of God. I was speaking to a bunch of ladies up in Port Rush over the weekend, and we were talking about building the kingdom, about Nehemiah's wall, and how they all, there was something like 40 groups of people all working together to get the thing built. We're building the kingdom of God, and we need to work together. But I can't, I can stand up here and speak, but I can't bring the people in, but you can. And together we can see something happen, not just in Lurgan, but right across this land. We can see women's lives being transformed. You can see your own life being transformed, but others. And out of my captivity and out of my pain and my mess, God began to show me that I could pray for others. Because what I had experienced, the way that God had healed me, I realised that God actually was helping me that I could speak and pray in other people's lives. And I could be, God could use me to set other people free. That's what he wants to do for you. He doesn't want you just to be healed. He wants you to be healed and then ministering to other people. There's a work for you to do. Prayer. People need prayer. They need words of encouragement. It's out of your mouths. God wants to turn around for you and he wants you to come into the fullness of the destiny he has over your lives. But I'll tell you something. The enemy, Satan, does not want you to enter into that. He wants you to stay wounded. And if you do happen to get some healing, he certainly doesn't want you to pray for anybody else. And somebody this morning in the prayer room said that God turned the captivity of Job around when he started to pray for his friends. And once I wasn't half healed up whenever I was still praying for people. I didn't wait until it was all healed up. I was praying for people whenever I was still a bit of a mess in certain areas. But God still used me because I was willing. I remember driving down from Inniskillen one day and I was coming down and there was a song came on and it was talking about giving everything. And I remember saying, Lord, I am holy. And the song was about being available. And I said, God, I know I'm a mess in a lot of areas, but I'm available. Are you available? Are you prepared? Are you prepared to go after, to pursue this King of Kings, this Lord Jesus who died for you? I tell you, he's got his arms open and he wants to change your life around and he wants to make you a vessel that he's going to do miraculous things through your life. That's the thing. And together we can do this. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I pray that your word will go deep into hearts. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will minister deeply. Lord, I pray that there will be a turnaround this morning. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Saviour, Lord, I pray that they'll come to know you this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here who is stuck in a situation and believing the lies of the enemy, that their mess is too messy, that they can't get free, God, I pray that you would rebuke, we rebuke, we rebuke that in Jesus' name, and I pray you'd shine your light in, Lord, that they would get a revelation of what you can do with the greatest mess. Lord, we're trusting you now and praising you and thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we look into his face, do you know what? He makes us beautiful. He's a beautiful saviour. And just for a moment or two, I would just love that we would just take a few moments. I would love you to ask yourself, what is God saying to you this morning out of this? What has hit your heart this morning? What is God saying? And I would love you to ask yourself this question.
what are you going to do about it? So we're going to give you a moment or two just to ask those two questions. What's God saying and what are you going to do about it? The thing is, we can't change our lives ourselves. We can't do it by making a vow. We can't do it by deciding we're going to change or make a new resolution. We can only do it whenever we have an encounter with God. Whenever we allow him to take control, whenever we feed ourselves in his word and we get fellowship with one another and we begin to live a different type of life where he begins to heal us from the inside out and begins to bring us and walk us into the destiny that he has always planned for us. And I used to say through all of my difficulties, and mine are nothing to what some of you have come through, but I want to tell you this. One of the things that God showed me was the greater the mess, the greater the plan that God has for your life. When the enemy attacks and puts a mess in your life, you can be sure that God has something big that he wants to do through your life. So I just want to encourage you. We have people at the front here uh, who are ready to pray. Please come up. Don't go out of here thinking that, that was a good message or, or maybe it wasn't. You know, Don't go out thinking uh, maybe God's spoken but I'm not going to do anything about it today. Please, now is the time. The, the, the word of God says now is the time, now is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, please don't go out, come and get right with God. Start this journey. And if you know the Lord and if there's difficulty stuff going on, please come, bring it into the light, take the first step. We'll pray with you and we'll take it from there. So, amen, go and be blessed. And thank you for coming. And thank you for coming.